linguistic archives. Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And today we are going to get to listen to a conversation about PTSD and some stories about successfully treating it with ayahuasca, MDMA, and cannabis. Now, if you've been listening to these podcasts from the salon for a while, you already know how those substances have had a positive effect on my own life. But in case you're somewhat new here, I'll uh, just give you the headlines. I first became involved with MDMA when it hit the streets in Dallas, Texas in the 1980s. However, at the time, it was almost impossible to learn anything about how to properly use this medicine. So we experimented. In my case, I kind of went over the top and off the deep end, and, uh, well, I used it so often that eventually it no longer worked for me. However, after a 10-year hiatus, I used it again with some of my Vietnam veteran friends in Florida. And what happened in our little group just, well, it almost seemed miraculous. So if you're interested, uh, you can hear all about this in an interview that I gave that is titled Confessions of an Ecstasy Advocate. And for what it's worth, I'm still very much an advocate of this powerful medicine. But today, much more has been learned about how to use MDMA in a therapeutic setting. And that is what we are going to learn a little more about today. After we listen to this interview, which uh, was recorded for us here in the salon, I'll expand my own story of this just a bit in order to better fit it into the picture that our guests are going to paint for us. Also, I'll tell you about a new feature of our PsychedelicSalon.com website that, uh, well, it may help you find the others. But first, uh, let me add a sense of urgency to today's program. You see, the people that we are about to hear from are raising funds for a documentary that is titled Shocked and Awed, which actually is uh, the title I wanted to use for today's podcast, but instead I chose something that, uh, well, I hope it's going to encourage more people to listen to it because uh, the scourge of PTSD among our military and veterans is quite alarming. And it is an issue that, uh, well, it actually touches on almost every family here in the States, either directly or indirectly. You may not be aware of it, but there is a high probability that someone you know is either suffering from PTSD or has a family member in that situation. As far as the Department of Veterans Affairs is concerned, though, the only thing that they think can be done to help the women and men who have sacrificed so much for us is to keep them in a zombie-like state with powerful pharmaceuticals. But that no longer has to be the case. There now actually is a cure for post-traumatic stress. So now let's join our resident medicine woman, Shauna Holm, in her conversation with Janie Saggart, the producer of Shock and Odd, Saj Razvi, who is an MDMA clinical therapist, and Ryan LeCompte, an ex-Marine who now runs an organization called Veterans for Entheogenic Therapy. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome. This is Shauna Holm, and I have uh, the great pleasure today and privilege of interviewing three very powerful and potent uh, people who are carrying extraordinary medicine. They're carrying what I think is life-changing and world-changing medicine. And these folks have uh, come together to produce a documentary 
And this documentary focuses on veterans with PTSD and delves into their healing journeys with ayahuasca, MDMA, and cannabis. And it's called From Shock to Awe. And you can see a clip on a website called Indiegogo.com. They are currently raising funds to finish this very uh, important documentary. And so whatever you are moved to give will be greatly appreciated. So let's just get into the bios of who I'm going to be speaking with today. So first is uh, Saj Razi, and he is the Executive Director at Trauma Dynamics. He leads Trauma Dynamics trainings nationally for therapists, graduate students, and medical professionals. He is a sub-investigator for the FDA clinical study of MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for treatment-resistant PTSD. Saj is also a national topic expert and speaker for PESI education, focusing on complex PTSD, and he runs a trauma education program at the University of Colorado's hospital CEDAR Addiction Treatment Center. Saj is co-author of a soon-to-be-released text for therapists that is based on the trauma dynamics treatment protocol. Then we have Janine Sagert, PhD, and Janine is the content producer. She has spent a lifetime exploring the inner reaches of the human psyche, including her own, and how it interacts with other people and the culture surrounding it to produce happiness and high function, or its opposite, suffering and breakdown. She earned her doctorate at the University of California, Berkeley, in culture and mental health, with a specialty in altered states of consciousness and psychological resilience. Specific to From Shock to Awe, it should also be mentioned that she is an army brat, having grown up on military bases around the world, and that her first experience with LSD at age 21 was profoundly transformative, leading her to a lifelong dedication to consciousness raising through spiritual practices such as self-inquiry and meditation. And finally, we have Ryan Lecomte, and Ryan is a United States Marine Corps infantry veteran and founder of Veterans for Enseogenic Therapies, VETS, an organization whose mission is to spread awareness about alternative medicines for the treatment of PTSD. As part of his graduate work at Naropa University, where he is studying to become a transpersonal therapist, he will act as principal investigator for a MAPS-sponsored study into ayahuasca-assisted therapy for PTSD and combat veterans. So... Everybody, welcome. So good to have you here. Thank you, Shona. It's lovely Hello, to Shana. be here. Yeah, be. yeah, this is so great. I was, as I was saying to you guys earlier, this is a subject that is near and dear in my heart, and I've worked with a couple of veterans, uh, uh, and they, both of whom have been uh, quite addicted to uh, really uh, horrifying cocktail pharmaceuticals, and one of them has a drinking problem as well, and so maybe we'll get into some of that as well in terms of mixing alcohol with those dangerous substances. And so here you are presenting uh, a subject whose time has, has really come. So let's get right into this. And whoever wants to take the floor first, let's talk about uh, trauma uh, and, and how it works, how, how it, how it uh, affects the mind. Well, I'm I think, Saj, you should take that, yeah. Sure, sure. I'm happy to jump in with this. Um, I, I think the thing here, uh, Shauna, is that we, we think about trauma as a mental health disorder, and, and certainly it affects our cognitive 
ability which affects how we see the world. But I, I think it's so much deeper than that, um, which is to say that, um, you know, it, it affects all of us. It affects our emotional world. It affects our thought process. Uh, it affects our bodies. Um, there are really significant um, large-scale research uh, studies out there that show that even trauma that happened way back in childhood is um, has a great deal to do with the physical disease processes and the mental health uh, processes that we have as adults. Um, so it's, it, I would say it's fairly pervasive, and uh, I would say it's also one of the big reasons that people do end up in psychotherapy. Sure. And so, all right, so we know it's, it's far-reaching. It goes, it goes very deep within our society. And so then what happens when you go to battle, when you go to fight a war? I mean, these guys are uh, committing suicide to the tune of, I think it's on average, 22 soldiers a day. And so uh, what's, what is the depth of that level of trauma, what we call PTSD, for the, our soldiers? You know, again, um, Ryan, jump in here at any time, but uh, I, I would say my my sense of it is that, you know, trauma shakes us to the core of who we are. Mm -hmm. And if, um, you know, if if what you if when you're when you're traumatized as an adult, what you find at the core is a childhood full of, you know, um, contactful parenting, support, uh, a nurturing world, then you have something to build back from right you can you can find your feet again if on the other hand you um as an adult you're traumatized and then where you're taken is this experience of childhood where you you know there's more of that more chaos more abandonment things like that then i think it's very difficult to build from that place sure sure and then uh so the soldiers are Actually, can you go into a little bit about what these guys are exposed to and the effects of that? Uh, certainly, Ryan, Ryan, you I'll want let you. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, as far as combat-related or stateside, um, what was either your either one or both? <laughs> okay. Well, a lot of our mission. I served in the infantry, um, and uh, you know. Part of the experience of being in the infantry is uh, this idea of picking up your your gear and, and and continuing to move forward. You know, regardless of firefights and everything else that we've been exposed to, IEDs. You know, it's a very I call it a, a chronic state of anxiety. And when you're exposed to that to those heightened states of anxiety, hypervigilance for over a period of eight months to fifteen months for the army. Uh, you uh, you tend to sort of cauterize, you know, your your psyche in a sense. You you taper off that that experience of fight or flight so that you can function and be able to survive. And so, a lot of, what you see in trauma a lot of times is like in childhood, we go through the same type of experience um, where you you uh, you sort of cut off your your emotional processing to continue survival mode. And uh, that's been the struggle for vets as they come back, like Saja said. Um, a lot of the treatment-resistant patients we're seeing uh, have a high have a high rate of uh, childhood neglect or, or abuse in some way or another, uh, as well as trauma. And so these are the subjects that we're really looking at for treatment of ayahuasca and, and cannabis and, and MDMA. 
And also, like Saja saying, you know, if you have a, a good support network, um, when you get back, you know, you you most likely if you had that same good support network when you were a kid, you'll have it as an adult. So your resilience seems to be in a good place to bounce back from those experiences and, and learn to integrate those with a good support system. Um, and you're most likely to be able to use these medications that the VAs are is prescribing uh, in an instrumental and functional way. But for the ones that, um, and I think that they're higher now more than ever at the VA, uh, 22, I think it's a lot, a lot deeper than just that number, um, when, with regards to PTSD, but I think a lot of it has to do with the, uh, the childhood trauma. And, uh, it's just important to look at how that manifests itself when you return and the stigma I mean, there's so many factors that contribute to what veterans are going through, and a lot of it all is a very complex issue of PTSD. Okay, in addition, actually, I was yeah. going to say, in addition, in interviewing and talking to quite a few vets, one of the themes that's arising, well, actually there's two, about the trauma mm-hmm. is I'm hearing more and more uh, vets say it act, it really starts in boot camp. When you go through mm-hmm. that training, whether you see combat or not, it is so traumatic, and it is retraining the brain to be immune to feelings, to not feel, to not be compassionate, to not be empathetic, to just function, much like a robot. Well, so that a, itself. Go ahead. Yeah, that's that's kind of a, a vague statement because a lot of us are altruistic. A lot of us do have compassion. A lot of us are are not. Um, we're trained to have compassion for each other, but right. I think the real the real issue is is pushing through those moments of of uh, being able to process emotions as you're doing the mission. Right. Um, right. That, that, Which is unnatural be, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we know what we signed up to do. You know, the the big struggle that we're having is we're very aware of the fact that we signed up to go to war. We definitely didn't sign up to bake cakes. But on return, the the issue we're having is upon our return, um, accepting the condition, the the conditioning that we uh, signed up for and everything else, the struggle is trying to get the, trying to get the help that we need when we get back. And these medications and and the VA are, uh, are definitely something that we need to look at as an, looking at alternatives now, Mm -hmm. as opposed to that. And and is it true that Jake, Oh, Ryan, is it true that they are medicating you guys out on the field as well? I mean, isn't there a lot of use of these medications out in combat as well? I, and a I lot of other drugs? I can say, yeah, there's there's definitely, um, I don't think there's a lot of, of actual pharmaceutical medication um, in field, in country, but I know that there's a lot of illicit use. Um, marijuana, spice was a big thing. Um, what spice? Uh, spice is a it's a synthetic form of marijuana. It's basically uh, household chemicals. Oh, and here. yeah, it's it's just, it's the you know the war on drugs, but even more so in the military. You know, mm-hmm. you make one drug illegal, and another one that's that's twice as harmful is bound to pop up. But mm-hmm. I think I think that a lot of these guys are self medicating, and and we're not getting the help we need either on active duty, which more so than the VA, but uh, the VA as well. So we, the, there's two different fronts there. 
Okay. All right. And actually, that makes sense. It, absolutely, and I have a, a question, personal question for you: Is what what brought you to the uh, your interest in uh, ayahuasca for PTSD? Oh boy, if and, I could and, tell you, <laughs> if I could tell you that the answer to that question, that would be. Uh, I can tell you the conditions that led up to it. Definitely, uh, you know, my own my own seeking of healing. Um, I haven't been officially diagnosed with PTSD, but I'm sure that I have it in some form or another. Uh, but my my personal journey has been um, losing brothers yeah. and uh, to suicide as well as combat. Mm-hmm. And uh, one one in particular really took hold of me. His name was Sergeant Leon Alcivar. Uh He had just gotten back from Iraq. I was stationed uh, in Northern Virginia at the time. And uh, he'd taken his own life. I found him in his barracks room, and he had hanged himself. And uh, it was a that really took a hold of me. I, I didn't realize consciously what was happening at the time. Um, I knew that he drank, as most Marines in the barracks do when we're stateside. Um, it's part of the self-medicating thing. And I, I knew so. I knew that he was drinking pretty heavily, but. Uh, it was just the nature of how he took his own life that really shook things up for me. Um, so I, I kind of, I won't get into the details on how or, you know, what the specifics were, but that those specifics are what shook me about the nature of PTSD in general. And so Sergeant Leon, uh, after we buried him, and uh, I decided to to get out of the military, finish up my enlistment, and get my honorable, and then get out and start school. Um, and shortly after school, um, I was also on VA's medications for PTSD. I was taking, uh, I was on a barbiturate. I was on Zolpidine, which is, uh, the off-brand of, of, uh, of Ambien. I was taking, uh, Klonopin for anxiety and trigger management or trigger suppression. Um, and I was also on a, a heavy antidepressant. It was Prozac. I was on the heaviest dose at the time. And I just started hanging out at the VA, and I started noticing, you know, I was, I was like, man, these medications really shouldn't be taken. There's a lot of contraindication here. Uh, there's heavy dosages that are being prescribed, and we're not spending much time with the psychiatrist or psychotherapy at all. So I started hanging out in the lobbies. I started talking to other veterans um, and asking them just as a kind of a qualitative interview or just putting down, you know, numbers on paper, how much were you being prescribed? Uh, what were you being prescribed, and what was your diagnosis, how long have you been on treatment. I just started writing all this stuff down while I was going to school. And uh, these veterans were pretty open because of how desperate they were. You know, a lot of them were uh, being over, over-medicated, and they were. I could tell that the, the sense in the room, in the waiting room at the VA, was uh, just depressing. And so after I collected all that, I... Uh, started noticing that we were all being prescribed the same amount, the same type, you know, everything was there. We really felt like cattle. Mm-hmm. And uh, shortly after that, you know, I didn't really know what to do at the time. I was really looking at the problem. Um, the solution came when uh, I did some underground psychedelic psychotherapy uh, with a friend that I had met at community college. And uh, that was the first psychedelic I had ever done, which was DMT. And DMT once once I touched that realm and I was able to understand what was going on and all the uh, archaic knowledge that came forth 
uh, it really, you know, shook things up for me. And I, I got off all my medications shortly thereafter. And my relationship with my wife and my kids started to improve. Mm-hmm. Um, I started reading books about psychedelics. I started following Terrence McKenna. He really helped a lot of this uh, manifest itself. Um, started listening to Lorenzo, a psychedelic salon. And then um, one day I just decided, you know, I'm going to start a group called Veterans for Entheogenic Therapy so that I can get others, you know, find the others and get these guys um, supporting the program and, and helping people come out of the closet, especially veterans coming out of the closet about their psychedelic experiences and maybe for some that are tired of the medications that are being prescribed. Um, so it kind of grew from there, you know. We're up to a couple thousand members. We did a retreat last year um, in July. Lisa Ling came with us and CNN broadcast uh, an episode from our experiences in Peru where we took uh, veterans of treatment-resistant PTSD. Uh, we drank ayahuasca, and it was just more of an informal study at the time. I didn't have an IRB approval or anything like that, but that sort of created the, the momentum for me to move forward and continue uh, finishing up my bachelor's, which I did last year, and uh, you know, really started getting serious about looking at a, a real study that would uh, at least you know, shed some light on whether or not ayahuasca could help with PTSD. So that's kind of where I'm at now. I, I hope I didn't. I think maybe I rambled. I'm sorry. Are you kidding? No, 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 no. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Ryan. Actually, when I was listening to you speak, I was curious. What was your experience between the type of uh, feelings or the processing that you had with psychiatric medications versus um, uh, uh, ayahuasca? Oh my God. Um, just complete polar opposite. It was it was the most foreign thing I'd ever experienced. Uh, these medications that I had really just focused on putting the symptoms down, pushing them down, pushing the emotions down, um, keeping me functional for a limited amount of time, but sedated. That was the big piece for me, was feeling like I was sedated to whatever it was I was feeling. And ayahuasca really opened all of that up in a very compassionate way. It, it wasn't a way that was like, you need to see this, you need to experience this, this is what it is, and um, sort of, you know, how the military approaches reality, pretty grounded. Um, uh, I, I saw a lot of truth, but I also I felt a lot of compassion with that medicine that I had never felt before. It was a very... Uh, ethereal experience and it helped me um, integrate a lot of my experiences in the military um, and I sort of picked out the, the strengths that I, I learned from the military, honor, courage and commitment and a lot of values that Marines hold very sacred and uh, at the same time I dropped a lot of the bad which was you know uh, an ambiguous war effort uh, um, dealing with uh, putting and suppressing emotions that were not useful at the time. It's helped me decompress uh, my my reaction to a stimulus in my environment, which at the same time, these other medications were doing that, right? Like the benzodiazepines that I was on helped me do that, but it it did it in a way that I was sedated to everything. And that caused a lot of turmoil in my relationships. Um, it really killed my spirit it killed my 
my willingness to, to continue moving forward with, with my dreams and my passions and everything else. And I know that there's other veterans out there that still want to serve and they still want to be useful to society and, and we still take our commitments seriously and these drugs just seem to be a way to put off commitment, which is something that goes against huh. what we're dedicating ourselves to. Well, yeah, it, it sounds huge. like the... Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, it sounds like the difference between being non-reactive because things are numb versus being non-reactive because, well, they've really been moved through and there's sort of a much more organic neutrality in the system. Oh, I love that. Organic neutrality. Yeah, it's, it's a crisis of consciousness, you know. Mm. Uh, we don't want to be sedated anymore. We don't want to be asleep to what's going on. And we also don't want to be too hypervigilant about it either. But this, this pharmacology, this ayahuasca just balances it for you, and then you just sort of ride the wave of grace, really. <laughs> well, Ryan, I want to bring up an important point here, and, and that is that it's my understanding that there are certain medications that are, are they do not go hand in hand with ayahuasca and so I'm just thinking in terms of uh, people who are listening to this conversation you know what would you advise them in terms of you know should they get off their medications first because it doesn't sound like you did it sounds like you were on them and you took the ayahuasca and then you went off them could you just elaborate on that Oh, I definitely did my research before I, I drank ayahuasca. Um, okay. I was off I was off medication for a month before I went to Peru, and that's what I advised uh, all. My, yeah, all my veterans that that came with me. Uh, there was a military sexual trauma woman who's been struggling since the 1980s, who's been on every drug in the book. Um, another Iraq veteran, uh, three Iraq veterans, and one Vietnamese uh, Vietnam veteran, and all of them had tried the same medications I have, and I always advise them. If you're on antidepressants, that seems to be the most dangerous mix uh, mm -hmm. with, with ayahuasca because of how serotonin works in the brain when you drink ayahuasca. So definitely um, be off all medications at least a month prior to drinking ayahuasca. Okay, another question for you, Ryan, because uh, the clients that I have who are on antidepressants are endeavoring to get off them and you can't just kind of get off them because everyone I've spoken to feels psychotic, suicidal, out of control, chaotic. So what was that like with you? Because that sounds pretty intense, you know, to go off all of them just a month before. Anyway, because I've heard that you have to sort yeah. of ease off of these. So I'm just curious. I want to hear more of this experience. Which... Um it just depends. I mean, I wouldn't advise someone who's on antipsychotic medications to drink ayahuasca because of the nature no. of psychedelics in general. Mm -hmm. um, you if you have something, part of the pre-screening process that I'm doing with my observation study with MAPS is I'm asking people what pre-existing conditions they had, um, if any, in relation to or not related to PTSD. And if they do, I have to exclude them from the study because that can definitely be a really bad spiritual crisis experience is something I'm not equipped to to deal with. Um, and I, I don't think a lot of shamans are either, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think the best, the best way to go is just if you have to, wean yourself off. And cannabis seems to be okay uh, if that's something that uh, will help with your symptoms until you can get to Peru. 
or or to an approved center in the, in the United States, making making sure that you're doing it legally. And I'm not advising anyone to do it at all. Um, I would definitely like Libby last year when we brought her to Peru. Um, I had to advise what medication she was on, find out, and then she would sort of bounce back to me, and I would go back to the research and and talk with psychiatrists and make sure, you know, what medications uh, people are on that are, seem to be contraindicated to ayahuasca use. Um, but as far as what you're on now, um, that is a really tough decision to mm-hmm. to make. And, and Libby definitely felt like putting herself through a month of being off all medications uh, was worth that that effort because she's now mm-hmm. she's now in a in a position where she has relationship with her granddaughters, which is something she didn't have before. Mm-hmm. So it's a risk, Beautiful. definitely a risk. You know, none of this is is foolproof. But mm-hmm. at the rate that we're at now, with the suicide rate that we're at, and and with everything else, you know, vets are. I just had an email. Can I read this to you real quick, guys? Please. Yeah. This is an email I just got today from a guy. I'll just call him uh, Bob. Um, Sir, ma'am, I was wondering if you might be able to point me in the right direction for any PTSD therapy that might work. I did four combat tours, once in Afghanistan and three times in Iraq. Since my medical discharge, I have been an inpatient for a cumulative total of 14 weeks to manage my PTSD symptoms with only minor success. The VA has me medicated into a stupor. I have lost my entire life to my issues. My marriage ended in flames. My little girls were taken away. I have a criminal record now. I have no one. I don't know if I can be fixed anymore. I'm sorry. I did not intend for this to be a vent session. If you happen to know where I could turn to, I'd appreciate it. CBD, DBT, CPT has been has only been temporarily effective, and my medications from the VA have, have only masked some symptoms. Thank you, sir, ma'am. I get these emails uh, at least two to three times a day from my group and from the website. This was directly submitted from the website, and these are veterans that are seeking out this, this therapy. So a lot of these guys just are at the, the end of their road. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's it's just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Uh, all right. I want to ask, Saj, uh, if you could talk to the use of MDMA for the PTSD. Yeah, absolutely. Efficacy, uh-huh. yeah. Okay. Okay, great. Yeah, so um, this is all a very exciting time to be in the field of mental health um, because the nonprofit pharmaceutical MAPS, which is sponsoring the research on um, MDMA, we are currently nearing the end of phase two trials, um, uh, phase two FDA trials, which is to say that, you know, we've, we're nearing the end of demonstrating efficacy and safety, and MAPS is going to then apply for phase three trials, which are, you know, much larger rollout throughout the, the United States. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's a very powerful medication. Uh, again, people have to, uh, taper off of all, uh, pre-existing medication to, to do this process. Um, and, you know, we, the, the results are pretty extraordinary. Uh, what we're finding is that after three full dose MDMA sessions, which 
you know, last each 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 full dose session lasts about a day, and so these are spread three to four months apart. Um, we're finding that 83% of you know chronic treatment resistant PTSD sufferers no longer qualify for the diagnosis. Okay, so that's it's, incredible. It's, it's very, it's, uh, I can tell you that, you know, I approached this study not from having experiences with psychedelics. I approached it from, with a background in mental health and in, in particular, you know, focusing on trauma. And, and so when I sort of joined the study and saw what, what was happening in it, I couldn't believe it. This is the results that we're seeing are not what we're supposed to see in, in the, mm-hmm. in the world of mental health. Um, and the you know the the long term results are there as well. So basically, in, in the study, we you know we track people two months after all medication has ceased. That's where we got that eighty three percent number from. And um, and then uh, at this point, we're tracking people three point eight years out. And for the most part, the the you know we're the the numbers are are staying the same. Um, people aren't huh. regressing. They're not relapsing back into 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 PTSD. Yeah, are those people, have they formed a network then of support for themselves as a result of the work with MDMA? You know, some, they're, they, lately there has been some people talking about getting together and having sort of a group process around it. Um, mm-hmm. But no, I mean, mostly these are people that, you know, they leave the study, they're probably in their own therapy session, uh, mm-hmm. in, in their own therapy as time goes on, because there's a lot of integration that has to happen um, as part of this process. So uh, let, let me be clear here. We're, we're testing MDMA-assisted psychotherapy, not just MDMA, right? right so right. Set, set and setting is, is everything for people to mm-hmm. sort of, you know, process and heal from trauma on this. Right, right. So actually, could you describe one of those, like what is a session like? What happens in, a, in that kind oh, okay. of okay. setting? Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll describe some of the logistics of it and also I think some of the qualitative experience that people have with it. Which is to say that um, the, the very first thing I want to say is we do not give people MDMA to take home, <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, so yeah, when we sure. do presentations on this, it's, so for some reason that, that has to be clarified. Um, but uh, basically people come in, you know, they have to qualify medically to be in the study and they take a lot of psychometric tests and we test their memory and things like that uh, before, during, and after. Um, and... Uh, um, so w- when they're admitted into the study, they have three preparatory sessions, right? So which is to say three uh, therapy th- sessions to meet their, their therapist and build some level of rapport in a relationship. And then we dive in to a full, uh, to, to a, um, a full day experimental session. And because it's double blind, neither the participant nor the therapist uh, know what, what uh, they receive, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, the setup is that there's two therapists in the room uh, and, and a client, and it looks like a, it looks like anybody's living room. It's a therapy office that's made to be fairly comfortable. Um, they take the medication at 10 a.m. in the morning, and uh, and then we're there until 6 p.m. at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a there's typically you know if they get a full dose session, there's a lot of processing, um, and it can it can look a lot of different ways, but but typically. People have um, viv- a vivid re-experiencing of uh, memories, of sensations, of emotions from their past, from 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 the past trauma, which sort of you know it's kind of like an ul- the ultimate version of re-exposure therapy 
and then they can reintegrate this material. How, how do you help them reintegrate that material? Because ah, that's uh, really uh, intense, right? So it is. It is a very intense process, and um, uh, you know, it, it seems that the human psyche under uh, in the conditions of support, right, when it's really feeling sort of the the conditions of that MDMA create, which is you know, a, a tenfold increase in, in oxytocin, prolactin. Um, there's basically, there's a, there's a real sense of bonding and connecting and opening to the world and to one's own experience and to other people. Um, and so in that state, when the trauma arises, um, which, by the way, it, it, not, it arises by itself. Um, you know, part of the protocol that we have is that if the participant doesn't sort of focus on the trauma in some period of time, uh, we're, we're instructed to have them um, take a look at it, but we've never had to do that um, mm -hmm. simply because the, their system is wanting to heal. They, their system mm -hmm. is wanting to integrate the, the aspects of their experience that have not been integratable up until now. Um, so when, when that does happen and they contact these memories and emotions and things like that, they, there's a lot of clarity uh, that happens. There's a lot of um, autonomic nervous system reactivity that takes place. Um, so, you know, they, you can you can kind of say that their system is naturally taking elements from sort of all different uh, therapeutic modalities, and and spontaneously it it, it kicks in. Um, like they they'll do cognitive reframing, uh, restructuring just by themselves. Uh, you know, their their bodies will begin to process the trauma just sort of spontaneously. Is that getting at sort of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe you support. could talk about the follow-up too, Saj. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. So the follow-up is um, pretty significant because, you know, what we find is, look, you know, people have, uh, at least in the Boulder, Colorado study, most of the participants are people with early childhood trauma, um, repeated and and chronic right and so they their systems have found a way to um uh compartmentalize the trauma to um dissociate from it to to you know cope with it and one of the mm -hmm. things that mdma does is really screw up the coping mechanisms um like if addiction is a great coping mechanism for trauma right and even though it has its massive downsides um we find that uh the mdma process because it is so contactful um, it, it screws up their coping mechanisms. And because of that, these people are very raw afterwards. Um, mm -hmm. They're, uh, you know, we, we and, and, and so we provide a lot of support. Like we'll call them um, for seven days after the, uh, after the session. And, uh, you know, we'll, there's three uh, integration sessions uh, in person after the, the sessions as well for the next three weeks. Okay, excellent. Excellent. Is there a spiritual component to this as well? Ah, you know, the, great question yeah. because um, Ryan and I were talking about sort of the difference between sort of um, entheogenic uh, uh, psychedelics like ayahuasca, mm -hmm. uh, psilocybin, things like that, and MDMA. And I think one of the key reasons why MAPS is choosing to go with MDMA is because it is a very human experience, um, meaning that we're, you know, on MDMA is not a transpersonal process. We're not transcending the human realm, in which case, you know, my my sense of that, and given I have 
limited experience with that kind of thing is is that people are less interested in processing their trauma in that transcendent state and so um the entire window of MDMA is a very human experience where that's that's focused on one's personal um history um mm-hmm. so there there is a spiritual component but it's not nearly as powerful as what happens with say psilocybin or ayahuasca or DMT things like that Okay. All right. Wow. This is really amazing. Now, what about the role of cannabis with all of this? I'm in a state, in Washington State, where cannabis is now made legal. And uh, and so Ryan mentioned it briefly. Uh, or no, it wasn't you. I'm sorry, Ryan. Someone in the uh, documentary was, I think, talking about they were smoking cannabis and they were able to get off a lot of their meds. So uh, what is going on with with, with uh the use of cannabis for these veterans? Cannabis seems to be uh, an allopathic form of treatment, meaning that uh, it, it treats the symptoms. But um, And I've seen a few veterans actually uh, go through some conscious cannabis circles here in Boulder that help uh, mm-hmm. lean more toward a, a cure or at least a, manage, a better management system. But overall, mm-hmm. cannabis seems to be uh, a temporary re- relief uh, for all of the medications that are being prescribed. Okay. Right. So one of the beauties of it um, is that it does manage symptoms. It doesn't seem to be the breakthrough in consciousness that mm-hmm. both MDMA, ayahuasca, and some of the other uh, entheogens are. But it does manage symptoms and replaces uh, one of the standard lines that we hear over and over standard in the sense that we hear it oftentimes, not that it's just blindly repeated, is that one plant seems to replace 10 to 15 pharmaceutical drugs for, for yeah. many of these veterans. They, I have heard stories of veterans who couldn't sleep for three year, years. I mean, literally would wake up in the middle of the night, couldn't get a good night's sleep. And their first time trying whole plant marijuana, they would get a good night's sleep. Now that in itself is healing mm-hmm, sure for is. the body. Um, mm-hmm. It seems to help a lot with anxiety control. Mm-hmm. It has a lot to do with aggression management. Mm-hmm. So we see these symptoms that are greatly helped. And yet there's also the controversial side that they're also... Uh, not well researched at this point. So Dr. Sue Sisley is, you may have heard of her. She is was at the University of Arizona Medical School, got FDA approval for studying veterans with PTSD, five different strains of marijuana to see what works, what doesn't work, is it verifiable. Mm-hmm. And, Can I interrupt one, one sec? Where do uh-huh. they get the strains of... Um, Janine, where do they get the strains of marijuana? Because I know there are, you know, there can be quite a, a, a big difference between right. strains. Right. Well, this this is exactly the oh, problem. This is the story. <laughs> this, yep. Is, yep. this is the story. Uh, so she ha- had identified the strains she wanted to study in a triple blind study. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has her FDA approval. And she's gone through all the taking years, of course, and then right. Shortly before she was ready to really start, she got fired from her job. 
at the university, even though the year before she had very good reviews, and since then has been looking for where, number one, where to place her study. So update is that Johns Hopkins is going to do half of them, and half of them will be done in Phoenix of in this protocol. But they have yet to receive their strains because if you have an FDA-approved and supervised research project, there's only one place you can receive your marijuana from, and that is the University of Mississippi. That's and what they I heard. Have, I heard it's kind of inferior. Neither. What mm-hmm. I just heard from Sue was the high. The best they can do for her is 12% THC in these strains, and most strains that are out there are probably up around 23% that are grown Mm -hmm. by normal growers. So it doesn't, I'll call it inferior, perhaps the better word is weaker, Mm -hmm. but that's all they said they'll be able to provide her, and that still isn't for months. So it becomes a tremendous roadblock in doing this research because many people are interested in what really does work, what doesn't, how do uh, conscious and responsible people start prescribing and helping for various maladies? And mm-hmm. strangely enough, it seems that it's there are some roadblocks, quite a few roadblocks being put up. You think that's strange, Janine? <laughs> I, I'm trying to be uh, diplomatic here. I'm trying to be <laughs> diplomatic. <laughs> no, you know, NIDA has our best interests. What are you guys talking about? Yeah, I mean, I have seen that something like 90% of the NIDA studies are about all the bad things with marijuana, not the positive aspects. So, again, perhaps there are vested interests. Oh. I can't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, now, let's, let's talk a bit about this documentary you guys are, are, are doing. You are the content producer. And right. uh, what 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 inspired you to begin this? This is a big project and it's a big deal. So uh, what, what brought you to this? I'm glad you recognize that because I was pretty naive at the beginning. <laughs> I mean, I knew it was important, believe me. It was like as deep in my consciousness as I could go this was something I could commit to. Um, but I didn't realize how much work it would be. The The story is that Luke Cote, who's the director and the actual filmmaker, I mean, he's a bona fide mm-hmm. filmmaker. I happen mm-hmm. to have had a different past, but am committed to helping this get done. Um, he and I have been friends for many years. We lived in an ashram together, so we have a, a root of similar consciousness. And... He himself had made a movie on PTSD amongst Canadian veterans years ago called Crash Landing. It came out in 2005 and was heartbreaking. You, you're you left after this movie loving these human beings and saying, but there's no help for them. What What can be offered to them to help them out of this pain and misery in the prisons, internal prisons they live in? So when we started, we're both... Uh, experienced in psychedelics and 
find great benefit in them, both in spiritual and emotional and every other realm of our lives. So when we started seeing the, the new research coming out with MDMA, I, the observational studies with ayahuasca, and of course all the other studies happening at NYU with end-of-life anxiety, etc., uh, it just seemed the the natural direction to go was to focus on veterans, which he and I both care a lot about. Um, not that everybody doesn't care about them, but that it it grabbed us and mm-hmm. PTSD and these three substances. People sometimes ask us, well, why not study psilocybin and why not do meditation studies? And all of those things are very valid. It just so happens that these are the ones where we feel we can get bona fide data as well as mm-hmm. um, anecdotal. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. our that's our motivation is to really okay. follow these stories and do it with actual stories of veterans before receiving any of these in, these medications, these plant medicines and MDMA, mm-hmm. during their therapeutic sessions and afterwards. Excellent. So yeah. that people can so, see, every human can see for their own self and make their own judgment as to whether they think they have validity and veracity. Fantastic. So where are you at in the process of this documentary. So you have an Indiegogo campaign. You need more money. Uh, These things are very expensive. (laughs) Yes, uh, they are. Yeah, yeah. And so so we've got a, you have a campaign going right now until October 14th to raise uh, as much money as you possibly can. So how far along are you in the production of this documentary? How much more do you have to go here? Well, a long way. Um, We've been at it a year and a half, and uh, most of that time was setting up relationships, building uh, trust with veterans Mm -hmm. such as Ryan Mm -hmm. and others that we have met, (laughs) because you you can't just step in and go, hey guys, we're here to make a movie, you know. So and also with therapists such as Saj and Marcella, who also works at the Boulder Study to establish mm-hmm. relationships with MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, and building all of those relationships. So where we are actually today, which is in two days, we're actually beginning filming. We will be. Mm-hmm. We have um, several veterans who are very involved and active with the cannabis aspect of this movie, mm-hmm. some of whom are going to be traveling across country from L.A. to Washington, D.C., to land on the steps of the VA on Veterans Day, November 11th. Wow. And it, all along the way, they're holding events, uh, gathering other veterans, educating them about the possibilities, and their main... Uh, message is that your all your farm pharma- not all your pharmaceuticals but that a good deal of them can be replaced with this plant medicine and that that the, every veteran should have the right to choose their own path to healing uh, and so they they'll throw all of their medicine bottles on the steps of the VA oh that's awesome make us make a statement yeah 
Yeah, so that we're beginning the first aspects of that. And then shortly thereafter, we're also going to be in Boulder talking to Ryan and some of the people that he that might be in his study, which we we don't know exact dates, but that's starting to set that up too, finding veterans who are willing to tell their story and be involved before they actually go through the ceremonies. So again, we can catch them in their daily life, see what it's like. So, so anybody watching can hear it, see it, feel it, taste it, and get an experience of Brilliant. what PTSD is like and mm-hmm. then see what the healing sessions are, whether it's MDMA or ayahuasca, or watching veterans use uh, cannabis, marijuana to manage their symptoms and then following them in their lives for the next six or eight months. So it's gonna—it's a long process. It's at least two more years we mm-hmm. anticipate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's complex. Is there, it is. And I didn't see a website for your documentary. There's the Indiegogo website, Raising Funds. Right. But do you have an actual website yet, Janine? Yes, we do. And there's a lot of good information on there. Uh, it's it's okay. from shocktoawe.com. Okay. So the name of the film, from shocktoawe.com. And on there, you will see uh, it's very rich in information. It has clips of many veterans, therapists, and experts. People like Stan Groff are there, uh, Chris Killam on ayahuasca, uh, Oliver Williams talking about breathwork and other things. So it's really rich in all of those arenas, as well as we have a whole section where we keep updated articles that are coming out, new research. Uh, updated news reports, etc. So it it really is information rich for anybody interested in this topic of PTSD, ayahuasca, MDMA, and cannabis. Fantastic. And now, Ryan, what is your website for your group? Uh, my group is vetentheogenic.org, V-E-T, Entheogenic.org. Um, we also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash vetentheogenic. Excellent. Excellent. And then, Saj, do you have a, a website here that you can give to the listeners? We do. Um, I guess I, I would like to really um, have people look at the MAPS website. It's maps.org, um, mm. which is so much more important than any website I have. (laughs) Only because, (laughs) you know, guys, I I just want to say, I never knew there was such a thing as a non-profit pharmaceutical company um, (laughs) because the the idea just didn't make sense. You know, when we we do fundraisers for maps, it's like holding a, I mean, I've never heard of somebody holding a bake sale for Zoloft. um, it, 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 It doesn't happen. Uh, simply because Zoloft is a financial blockbuster, right? You mm-hmm, have to take mm-hmm. it for a very long period of time, if not the rest of your life. Otherwise, mm-hmm. your symptoms will come back. And mm-hmm. MDMA is not a financial blockbuster. And even though it looks to be one of the most promising things that we've seen in the world of mental health in terms of treating trauma, um, it would not be uh, where it is today. It would not be near you know, uh, phase three trials if it were not for a nonprofit organization like MAPS. Amen. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not, Pfizer is not going to, not going to um, move MDMA through the system, you know. Um, 
So just I, I would encourage people to, to take a look at that. And if there's any impulse to donate, um, that in my world is, is um, you know, perhaps one of the most worthy causes. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So I actually have a question. Um, and maybe, Ryan, you could answer this. So uh, uh, the cynic in me is thinking in terms of what if the military, I, I, I don't know, okay, so if, if uh, you have PTSD and then it is cleared through the use of, say, MDMA or ayahuasca, and then would these guys return ever to combat? Or, or, or does, would you say it, it changes your life so dramatically that there is no desire to go back to that kind of life? Well, well what do you think? And then I'll answer. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. You're talking to a mushroom medicine woman here, and so I don't think Helen. Quote uh, Helen. No. <laughs> no. No combat. No. Of course, it would change your life and probably take you, uh, deepen you, and and take you into probably service, which is what I find so many people who work with these medicines are called to uh, serve. Uh, not in the military in that, quite in that regard, but, yeah, to help others heal. And so let's, what's, what's your answer? Yeah, I think um, my life is my message. Uh, ayahuasca mm -hmm. opened me up to service, continuing service, and a lot of veterans, when we get out, a, a big struggle we have is, is not having that feeling of being of service to others. Mm -hmm. Um so I I think with the with the idea of what psychedelics you know the basic idea of psychedelics is you know creating um, a symbiosis between us and them and no longer being able to define the, where the lines are drawn any longer. I know a lot of us when we come back we we find that a lot of the locals there um, about ninety five percent of the locals live just like you and me and want to live like you and me. Um, and it's always, you know, there's always going to be 5% that we we have a saying in the Marine Corps. There's always one or two that screws it up for everybody. And we have to face reality that there are real factions in the Middle East that want to do nothing but in, impose terrorism on regular people. And uh, I'm not saying that the war was, was just or, or, you know, there's a lot of ambiguity there. And I don't think I want to get into that, the politics of it, but... I think in general, you know, veterans feel when we get back that the integrative care to become, you know, normal members of society, um, the support isn't there. So I don't think, um, you know, I think what you're speaking to more is Academy and Blackwater and, and sort of some hush-hush uh, real groups of, of men that are bent on just destroying the lives of other people and i don't see psychedelics playing a part in getting people better to be ready to go do that again that that hasn't been my experience especially the spiritual path that ayahuasca has put me on i i would agree i was actually thinking more of, of the mdma actually uh so yeah all right well this just just a question that that came up very this is mm -hmm. just absolutely yeah it's fascinating rich rich and to this point, I just wanted to say that just like Ryan, mm -hmm. many of the vets, well, I'll say one specifically, Tony Macy, who his the arc of his healing was such that he did 
MDMA therapy, felt that it took him a year to, to really face and heal and get himself back in physical and mental emotional shape. He said, I knew what I had to do. I did it. And now I want to serve. And he, he takes mm-hmm. groups of veterans to Cambodia to do service, to help rebuild villages and help repair. So I think it's, wow. again, there's no evidence. There's, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. I apologize. I was just going to say, it's not like any formal study, but mm-hmm. uh, like Ryan, who is so service-oriented, I, he gives so much of his time, his energy, his heart to helping other vets, wanting to help them heal, as you said, as many psychonauts do, because you see, mm-hmm. that is me. And there's Tony and others. Mission, you know, warriors are, they like to be on a mission and to do good and to serve. So this replace it's a different kind of warrior, a different kind of service. You but, know, guys, yeah. that we, I think we're finding something similar. We're not tracking for this in the MDMA study, but, you know, more anecdotally speaking, we are finding that, people that come out of this um, because they, you know, the, the world of trauma is, is so, so contracted and so intense that when people find a way out, we find that, you know, a lot of them have that impulse to serve. Um, they have an impulse mm. to sort of communicate their experience, um, which again, I, I feel a little sad for Zoloft right now because I keep bashing it, but you know, no, I don't, I don't ever hear people <laughs> don't, talk don't about their Zoloft experience. <laughs> Right. That's Saj, you make a great point, man, because I think in the last interview, another point I brought up about this issue was um, that veterans that are that would be still willing to um, I always think of medications as archetypes and um, and drugs in general, Uh, alcohol and and these pharmaceuticals seem to be medications that are geared toward uh, the mindset of someone that doesn't want to uh, process emotion and process what it is that they're doing and, mm-hmm. and embrace consciousness. And so those types of people, although they're, they're still out there that are bent on that, uh, those would be the demographic I would think um, that would be more on the, the, uh, the Klonopin side of taking this so I can go back out and, and continue in this path of destruction and, and, and so veterans that are seeking this kind of healing, for whatever reason, has drawn them to it, um, whether it's wanting to get off the medications they're on um, or whether it's that they've never tried those and they've just decided that the spiritual path is one that they, they want to honor. And I don't think any of that, it sort of bars you from wanting to be of service for destruction, whereas the the warriors of light and the ones that have turned toward uh, service, the ones that have joined for altruistic reasons and and uh, service to others, uh, can now do it in a more constructive way in saving lives. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Well, it's like it gives really gives them a whole new lease on life. Uh, Annie Oak, who runs the Women's Visionary Congress, once said, alcohol is an inferior drug. And uh, <laughs> I, 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 I would add the pharmaceuticals to that statement as, as well because yeah. it is really astonishing. I mean, what you have been sharing is, is I mean, you know, to, to we who work with these uh, plants, fungi, with the MDMA, I mean, it's, you know, this is not new to us, but, you know, it, this is astonishing 
to the people who this is going to reach for the first time. It really, it's remarkable. And you know, Shana, I, I think one of the most powerful aspects of what's happening right now is that it is leaving the realm of, you know, personal experience, meaning that you and we and probably most people that are listening here, um, you know, they probably have very compelling experiences of their own, which give them, you know, insight into this world. Um, however, most of America doesn't. And uh, mm-hmm. one of the, the powerful things that's happening with the research is that we are really entering the realm of science and science is backing up everything we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, one of my favorite um, little stories from or comparisons here is that, uh, you know, when, when Zoloft, there, there's only two medications in this country that are approved for working with trauma, with PTSD. It's uh, Zoloft and Paxil, right? Not to say mm-hmm. other ones, psychiatrists don't use other things. But um, And in the trials that Zoloft had when, when the FDA approved it, it, on a 136-point scale of uh, where anything above 50 was clinically significant for trauma, um, Zoloft had a six-point reduction over placebo, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, okay, you know, six points, but we don't have anything else, so, you know, it got approved. Uh, What we're seeing in the MDMA trials is a 54.7, an average of 54.7-point drop on that same scale. Right, so it's yeah. roughly nine nine times as effective, uh, at least for for that one particular study, and and that's measuring after all all medication has ceased. People don't have to keep taking MDMA to see these results. That's a huge point. In the world of ayahuasca, I'd make the same point that ayahuasca yeah. is definitely not a drug of abuse. It's not something you can take lightly. No. Mm. Mm. No. Same with the mushrooms. I mean. Good grief. Who wants to yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> My <casual laughs> I've noticed the more I take these drugs, the less I need them. And I think that's yeah. important. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That, yeah, it's it's, it's the exact reverse of what happens with with uh, psychiatric medications, right? And pharmaceuticals, yeah. By the way, I, I want to draw attention. When you were talking, Shauna, about the remarkable nature of you're implying that these drugs are being used for military people. That you know, that's out of the normal realm of what we think people experimenting with psychedelics are. And mm-hmm. our our title was to me conjures up the image uh, because of the shock and awe offensive, this military offensive, which was meant to uh, devastate people so fully that they were immobilized and could not do anything in retaliation. That that it should turn itself, talk about karma, and bring it back to us. Mm-hmm. Think of the implications of more and more of these beautiful warriors coming to the awe and to the bigger perspective and the consciousness uh, shifting medications because of that awful experience in the, that war, those wars. Uh, yeah, I, I love I the implication of it. You know, turning it, turning it on its head, and it's like, okay, you guys, you know, whoever it was that created all of this, it's coming back in a higher form. So watch out. Yeah, and think about what consciousness. Group, yeah, think about what what better group would be would be uh, would be more beneficial to 
to uh, the world than to have the people that were wielding the weapons of suffering to now wielding exactly. the, the weapons of recovery. Exactly. Carrying the banner. Well, I, I have a, yeah, I've got a dear friend who was an airborne ranger, and he has been saying all along, if we can get the vets to wake up, it's a game changer. That's a major <laughs> Exactly. And this is the spearhead. Yeah, yeah, I, spearhead. Yeah, I changed the I changed the name of Semper Fidelis, which means always faithful to Semper Fidelis to the plants, always faithful to the plants. <laughs> now I've got a, now I've got a specific way to I have something that I can be faithful to now versus just sort of throwing it out there and being faithful to whatever comes my way. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I always say I really see this wave, this growing wave of consciousness with regard to the visionary plants and fungi as Mother Earth calling her children back. Mm. And she's calling us back through her plants and fungi and and, and helping us to wake up. And I I, I sometimes wonder if that really is, from a higher intelligence, the purpose of these plants and fungi. Is is that really what they're doing here to kind of – uh, 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 give us the opportunity of a course correction when we have lost our way, as we have desperately, desperately. And I absolutely so believe oh, that. Oh, that's huge. Yeah, it's absolutely. like feeling grateful. I feel grateful to the fact that the plants are still reaching out to, to this carnivore inside me that's just, you know, raging destruction. And I, that's a huge piece for vets, man, the sons and daughters of mother that's reaching out and saying, hey, we're still here reaching out to you. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and we're going to heal you and we're going to love you up and we're going to help you <laughs> go back out there and live your life. And, that's right. And take you into the light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what more, I mean, this is the least I can do after my experience is to try and give it to as many uh, of my brothers and sisters as I can. It's just going to be a yeah. web of service. Well, isn't that like one of the, the the cries of most military men is no one left behind? That's right. That that's one of the 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 honor of I will not leave my buddies and my cohorts behind on the battlefield. And so when when the enlightened warriors come and return to bring their brothers and sisters along with them, we have a potential revolution of consciousness. Oh, well, it makes me think of that oh, yeah. question. What if, what if we held a war and no one came? <laughs> <laughs> what if it just didn't make sense? <laughs> That's great. I like that. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. I mean, and this is know. so deeply rooted, you know. This goes back to Vietnam even before that with warriors and, and the treatment of vets and, in general. It's, they were the tip of the tip of the spear in the movement for human rights in the 60s. Yep. Mm-hmm. 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 This yeah, benefits yeah. more than just vets in the end. I mean, we will be the tip, but I I would like to see these medicines available to, to everyone. I agree. In the I same agree. way that I we know. signed up to serve the country, you know. We're also serving the country in this way. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like your role. The role is, uh, of the warrior is shifting, isn't it? And uh, so, yeah. This is uh, very exciting, Absolutely. and uh, yeah, 
like hang on to your hats because we're we're in like, what a time to be alive on this planet. And think because this this is unprecedented what is going on. I mean, we're up against a big dark wall of uh, folks who sort of held the reins of power for quite some time. But it's like it's not sustainable. It can't it can't be sustainable because it's immoral and it doesn't work and it harms people. And so. Here are our warriors. Oh my goodness! Wait till you guys all heal. Oh my goodness! Mm. Quite something. Well, I, I know that um, I know that the the powers that be would would have a lot on their hands if we had enlightened warriors around us. <laughs> <laughs> Military has more guns than the DEA, as uh, Rick Doblin says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. the VA is huge in the world of mental health. Uh, as the VA goes, so so does the rest of the world of mental health. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was just at a talk in, in Walter Reed uh, with Dr. Sue Sisley. Me and her were presenting uh, a talk on ayahuasca and marijuana to a crowd of brigadier, four stars, um, congressmen. I think Obama came through at one point, and uh, it was just amazing to see, even in that environment where you have the top military medicine in the country gathering for this uh, this, this workshop for PTSD treatment. And all of them were receptive, you know, which is amazing. Because we're talking about illicit substances on federal ground at, at Walter Reed National Naval Medical Center. And the doctors and physicians and psychiatrists are all just wanting to know, hey, where do we turn? You could see the desperateness in their eyes that they... They didn't know, and a lot of the ethics are coming up around this as well. Mm. Ethics? Could you speak to that? Say again? Could you speak to the ethics? Yeah, ethically, I think, you know, I'm going into the, the field of, of uh, psychotherapy like Saj is. We're, we're both from the same institution, and uh, one of the things I bring up a lot in class in the graduate program is we're here to help. I mean, aside from from uh from pharmaceuticals and and psychotherapy whatever's being developed here we need to make sure that our clients it's client centered it's client based we're here to serve them and and obviously the the worst case should get the the most the most potent uh pharmacological intervention and ethically you know i i couldn't do my job if i was wanting the patient to return to me over and over and over again i would want that person to get well and be able to find ways to self-regulate and and right. have well, access we're, we're, to medicine. We're establishing evidence-based practices here, right? With the, with this mm-hmm. much gold standard research that's going on, and so the question becomes: If something is truly evidence-based and shown to work, well, you know, what what are the ethics ethics of not using it? Mm-hmm. There you go. What if? Yeah. And, and anecdotally, the evidence is there for ayahuasca and. I'm hoping with this observational study that it will open the doors and I'll be able to present this data to the VA. And my my 20-year goal is to um, have the VA work with an approved center here in the United States under religious freedoms to be able to uh, outsource treatment-resistant patients to approved centers. I mean, that's I hope that we can do this through science, Saj, and especially what you're doing in the clinical trials is so important. We're so close to getting that underway. and. I, I, I'm really hopeful. I mean, this is a, a huge breakthrough in medicine and, and therapy. Yeah, we okay. are so close. 
we are right. so close. We're we're looking at five years for approval for um, MDMA as a uh, psychiatric medication. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Wow. Of course, the wow. first step is rescheduling. That's a whole other bag of worms. You know, getting it these, these oh yes medicines rescheduled from Schedule One with no known medical value to Schedule Three, where they can be prescribed, they can be used in responsible settings, et cetera. So, I think the good thing about putting it through. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, I was just going to do a tip of the hat to Rick Doblin again, who's been on yes. this, doing yeah. this oh, for year after year after year after year, you know, responsibly. Absolutely. What were you going to say? Oh, well, Ryan, yeah. I had a question because you mentioned how you'd love to see ayahuasca in centers. Well, that that could be a whole other hour discussion, but I'm <laughs> curious to know your vision of that because, of course, ayahuasca comes from uh, the jungles of the Amazon and and there are well highly trained shamans and there's a tradition there and so uh i'm just thinking okay va approved ayahuasca seminary <laughs> what the hell is that going to look like so what's, what's uh, vision, Brian? i want to hear yeah that's a it's a like i said it's a 20 year plan um mm-hmm. it's, I, it's sort of the same path that i think rick set out back in the 80s when mdma was first uh, made illegal um, this is something that I think is viable, it's possible, and I think that we can, in, in the West, create a context for ayahuasca um, through the religious freedoms and be able to use that facility for science, which is what I'm doing right now. I, uh, I'm connected with this church in Florida called SoulQuest, um, and we're collaborating for the study that I'm doing uh, with veterans and PTSD they are under the religious freedoms of the Native American church, and so they're protected to use ayahuasca as a uh, sacrament in their ceremony. And so um, the veterans that I recruit here, once the study gets IRB approval, I'll be sending down to Florida, um, and MAPS will be sponsoring the study as well. And once they come back, they'll be following, we'll be following up with them for a year using the same psychometrics that the MDMA study is using, which is CAPS, uh, Cap severity scale, uh, PTGI, which is a post-traumatic growth inventory, which measures integration um, of, of traumatic experiences. We'll be uh, doing a sleep scale, uh, the Pittsburgh sleep study. And I, I also added in the MEQ, the mystical experience questionnaire, because I'm curious to see how that, <laughs> cor- how that correlates with uh, PTSD recovery in general. So um, I think overall the, the, the key is if we don't have to send them to the the dangerous jungle of the Amazon, uh, we could definitely do it here in the States, and I think we can create a context and a container around it so that we don't have to keep um, sending Westerners into an indigenous culture where I, I got the sense that uh, the shamans there, although they were friendly, were basically saying – you guys need to police your own shit. And I got that message very clearly, and I think that we can. Um, and that's that's why I'm at Naropa is because of the transpersonal element. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's a ton of integration that the veterans are going to be doing when they get back from uh, SoulQuest and their ayahuasca experience. They're going to be working with uh, equestrian therapy. They're going to be working with horses. Uh, all of them will get isolation tank vouchers. All of them will be um, doing some some gateway model work, uh, Jung's archetypal gateway model work that will be going on mm-hmm. retreat. 
wilderness therapy, somatic therapy, individual and group psychotherapy. And so they're getting the full package in the integration process. And I'm, my my hunch is that by the end of the, the year, at the 12-month follow-up, we'll see a reduction in CAP score. And once that happens, we can we that opens the doors to uh, getting more to uh, a clinical-based program where we can start presenting this data to the VA. And I have I've been since building connections at the VA and Walter Reed, um, and people are waiting to to see the results of this study. I'm really excited about it. Brilliant, brilliant. Hey, I have one suggestion, Ryan. Ryan, <laughs> didn't you once refer to it as spiritual boot camp? Yes, spiritual boot camp. That's uh that's the model. Awesome. It's a reintegration program. I would add nutrition to that as well. Like really good nutrient dense foods that a lot of these guys are missing because they're eating, you know, processed, genetically modified, you know, tons of sugar, that kind of thing. That that I know would also assist greatly. Absolutely. And the beautiful thing about Naropa is I have Every type of alternative uh, therapist at the at the tips of my fingers. There's nutritionists that I work with as well, and all of these people, since I've been networking at the school, have offered to do some type of integration program pro bono, which is great. Wow, wow, yeah. that's that's huge, you guys. You know, this just yeah. all of this information just calls to mind this quote I love. It's Arthur Schopenhauer. That have you heard of that? It says all truth passes through three stages. First, it's ridiculed. Second, mm-hmm. it's violently opposed. Third, it's accepted as being self-evident. And, right. and I think oh, that's I exactly, that. yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen with all of this, truly. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's like hidden in plain sight, you know? We're moving yeah. toward more of a holistic <laughs> model. Right, right, yeah. right. Back, well, we're coming back to nature, sounds like. Right. Boom. And it, no time you know, to so lose on that one, really. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, and you know, guys, and, and yeah. something that I think um, it's a, a, a phrase that we haven't been talking about here, but just in terms of how this is going to affect the world of mental health, because you know the the cognitive behavioral therapy model is the the vastly the dominant approach in um, in, in the world of psychotherapy, and you know it's all about sort of um, learning new coping mechanisms. Uh, Workarounds, uh, uh, reframing what's happening, cog- you know, cognitive restructuring, things like that, which is great. It's it's one of the tool sets that we have here. But what we're finding with these approaches is that, you know, people don't, you know, talk therapy is not what people are typically doing uh, on MDMA, and you know, these are much more experiential therapies that we're talking about here. Um, they're much more sort of the ground up the the bottom up and what what made me think about this was talking about how nature is kind of reasserting itself because I mean I think that what we're seeing in the world of mental health is that you know we cannot have this top down approach where the um you know the prefrontal cortex is telling all the other parts of the brain to behave <laughs> and get and, and get in line and you know just you know stop feeling that way or something like that it it, it simply doesn't work and and so we're we're experiencing these uh these emergences uh, emergence of this bottom up processing models in the world of psychotherapy and i think 
sort of what's happening there is going to dovetail beautifully with what's hap- what we're you know what we're discovering in these sessions, which is you know it is a it is fundamentally an experience that heals people, not um, you know a, uh, a a thought or not a, you know a cognitive reframe. Mm, right, it's absolutely. not an, it's not an intellectual exercise. That's right. Right. That's right. It has to be constantly managed. <laughs> Let yeah, it get and, out of control. <laughs> and and a lot of mindfulness-based therapy offers offers that kind of insight of of not thinking of the brain as like a big boss but integrating the entire experience somatically um and and through neuroscience too we're we're starting to see that there's there's neural pathways that are that are being formed as a result of mindfulness-based exercises, these are all, um, you know, hard research that looks at parts of the brain that um, are responsible for integrating these experiences and looking at it from a limbic point of view. Um, I think a lot of the the science is really going to come through for the uh, for this side of the of the coin that we need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very much so. There is a study that um, I don't know if it's been published yet, but you know, we're seeing some of the some information leaked through where um, uh, I believe is a UK study that they put people in an fMRI, a functional MRI machine, which is to say we're not looking at just the structures of the brain. We're looking at the crosstalk between areas of the brain. And what we're seeing, at least with you know MDMA, I suspect this, this may be true of other psychedelics, is that um, you know, a there's a decrease in the activity in the, of the amygdala. Um, there's a decrease in the activity of the prefrontal cortex. But what we do see a, an increase in is a conversation between the amygdala and the hippocampus, which oh, is to beautiful. say, which is that statement right there, that that one particular piece right there, pretty much turns the entire world of psychotherapy on its head. Uh, by saying that, look, it's not this, you know, the consciousness centers, the rational mind that's going to help here. It's a conversation between two much more primitive parts of the brain that seems mm-hmm. to, you know, resolve resolve things. God, and that's the center for memory and emotional processes, man. That's right. That's where we have to get. It's. It reminds me of like what Terence was talking about when he said this archaic recursion. Like we have to go back to the mammalian brain. Yeah, and and reassess. That's Rewired. It. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is the mammalian brain. That's where I, I my experience in the field. That's where trauma is hanging out. It's a mm-hmm. it, it's a autonomic process. It's a bottom up animal process. I mean, we can we can see um, the same sort of trauma responses in other mammals that we see in human beings, which is to say that. You know, you don't have to have higher cognitive capacities. You know, you don't have to have this, you know, sophisticated meaning-making structure around the world to be traumatized. A mouse can be traumatized just like a human being can. So, yeah, that hmm. says that says the opposite to you know what we think in the psychonautic world of of evolving and transcending. Whereas this path is transcendence through recursion, which is interesting. Uh huh. <laughs> through the deep dive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, you got to go back to the roots, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we're finding. Well, I'm pretty complete. <laughs> the only the only piece that I want to throw into the pie is how we we're talking about the veterans getting back to mm-hmm. that and healing them. Mm-hmm. But think of the many people they affect: their children, mm-hmm. their yeah. parents, their mm-hmm. wives, their husbands, their communities. 
it, mm-hmm. it really is the tip of the spear also for that. Yeah. It, it, so you many mean, are affected. You should talk about the, the, I think what you're doing, and I definitely what I'm doing as part of the qualitative side of, this, of the research is I'm following up with family members. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's super important. Well, we want to film people in their families, in their homes. What does it look like, feel like before and after? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, Huge. You know, the other thought that I had, um, Shauna, was just in terms of your question, I'm wondering about if people need to have a better sort of understanding, a, a more sort of visceral understanding of what PTSD actually is. Um, because we're all, you know, it's this acronym that we all know what, what it is, but right. I'm wondering if most people, I mean, because here, here's a, a, a quick little story that I, I found, I found extraordinary, right? That, um, one of my colleagues who teaches with me, uh, Dr. Mike Barnes, who's one of the program managers at Cedar, he got to Cedar in 2012, right? And Cedar is arguably one of the top four addiction treatment clinics in the country. It's, it's fantastic. Um, but he went through their records to see, uh, in 2011, how many people that came through the door of an inpatient addiction treatment center had post-traumatic stress disorder, and the wow. number that he, how many people had that diagnosis, and he found he, you know, he found zero percent, right? which is to say that it, it's not accurate. It's not we we know from like really good research that you know that there is a very large overlap between you know early childhood trauma and people do, who develop addiction later in life. And so the reason why he found 0% is because the field does not know how to recognize trauma. Oh, my God. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, wow. I mean, these are clinicians. These are yeah. psychiatrists. And what they're doing is they see people with trauma and they say, oh, well, you have uh, generalized anxiety disorder. You have depression. Right. You you have bipolar disorder. You have basically there's all these other things that can be people with trauma can be diagnosed as. Because, you know, the, the DSM doesn't look at causes. It just looks at symptom sets. Right. Um, and then, oh. yeah, go, go ahead, Ryan. Yeah. Wow. No, 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 man. I'm just, I'm blown away because this this really gets into the, the, the stigma of addicts in our society. Um, looking at looking at uh, the, this population who, who we cast aside. I worked in substance abuse uh, as a counselor, and I was noticing the level of trauma that a lot of these patients, adult males that I worked with, uh, had very, very heavy symptoms of PTSD, but we were treating yeah. the addiction part of it. The addiction, right. It doesn't account for the dual diagnosis. I, I, there's so much stigma around, you know, a lot of these people have childhood experiences and they, they grow up and they self-medicate and there's societal stigma still attached to it. And I see a lot of that in the veterans community of, of uh, high resistance to treatment. Yeah. Yep. That's yep. huge, we don't, man. We don't know how to... We don't see trauma very well. Um, and and uh, later, and just to complete that story, Mike Barnes then gave everybody that with a, a measure called the trauma symptom inventory, which is fantastic, in 2012. And the number was 70% that he found. Wow. <laughs> it went from zero to 70%. Come on. Wow. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah. And as oh. we always say, it's going to take an army of supporters to get this thing done <laughs> to yeah. get get the movement you know Guys, everything I, I, just, I just want to say i have no idea how mdma has come this far in terms of the yeah. research you know i mean i'm like how how has it been permitted to 
Because <laughs> you can't shut it down at this point, right? It's uh, the the the, the, the cat's out of the bag. Way too much data at this point right. for it to be shut down, and so. Yeah. Well, there's grace. There's always grace. There's always grace. Yeah. This is definitely. Yeah. There's no way the cat's out of the bag on this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's called yeah, science. I love that. It's called science. <laughs> okay, Shauna. Let us know if there's anything else you need from us. Okay, no, I think we're good. Let's um, conclude, and this has been just so illuminating and so inspiring, and, and I want to emphasize again for the listeners that uh, the website to go to is Indiegogo.com, where you can uh, contribute to this very, very worthwhile and much-needed project. They've got to raise money, and they have until the 14th of October and so whatever can be given, I know would be greatly, greatly appreciated. And so Greatly appreciated. And it is specifically from shock to awe, because there are many campaigns on Indiegogo, so they have to go to from shock to awe. And, oh, and, thank you, Janine. Okay, mm-hmm. so just type in from shock to awe and whatever the subject is. And Indiegogo, I've, yes. And Indiegogo, right. Just that we need everybody's support for all of our endeavors, for the studies, for maps, for the movie, for everything that anybody can do in their own realms to communicate the message that there are healing is available. Wonderful. Thank you. And Saj, what would you like to say in parting words? Wow. Um, just I, it, it is a privilege to be a part of this movement. It is um, amazing to be in the world of mental health and see what we can do with trauma all by ourselves, but, and then see what kind of what happens when we get a, a lot of support <laughs> to work with trauma. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to behold. Um, and, you know, we really are looking at the establishment of psychedelic centers around the country in the not too distant future. Um, and, and then lastly, you know, this is something that I see being much more than the U.S. I see it, you know, the way that the world works is that it takes the lead of the FDA. And if the FDA approves MDMA, then it's something that can be used in, you know, a lot of different contexts around the world. So, um, you know, if people want to see that happen, then I would also suggest going to maps.org and uh, supporting, uh, supporting that cause. Excellent. Thank you. And Ryan, what would you like to say in parting? Um, thank you guys for everyone that's considering uh, donating to this campaign. You're supporting uh, not only psychedelic research, but you're uh, supporting veterans that very much need this form of therapy, uh, myself included, who I was given the privilege to find it underground, which isn't always the ideal case. So now we have an opportunity to uh, deliver these medicines to veterans and start coming uh, above the ground and speaking our truth and uh, so I think it's important thank you guys for listening and uh, yeah this is a, an important uh, film that that's going to get the word out and the more we do that the less we have to be scared about talking about these forms of therapy and, and medicine excellent well said thank you all so much and, and bless you all Take care. Thank, Thank you, you Shana. Blessings to you as well. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon. 
where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. And as you just heard, filming on this important documentary just began this morning. I realize that every day somebody is asking you for money. And in fact, uh, well, there's hardly a week that goes by in which somebody hasn't asked me to uh, give a plug to one of their crowdsourced projects. And I always feel bad about not doing so because, well, they all have positive points that deserve a shout-out. However, being a Vietnam veteran myself and having dealt with PTSD on various levels, I am far too aware of what a difficult time many of our military members and veterans are having when it comes to dealing with events that traumatized them in the past. Just think about it. From the time you got up this morning until you get up tomorrow morning, there will be at least another 22 women and men who have taken their own lives because they can no longer deal with the suffering that post-traumatic stress brings into one's life. And if you have ever had the misfortune of having a friend take his or her own life, then you know that the number 22 is only the tip of the iceberg, because there are also many friends and family members who will never be the same after one of their loved ones has committed suicide. We are talking about a nationwide epidemic here, one that is essentially being swept under the rug by the political elite who seem to be more concerned with raising bribe money for their campaigns than they are in governing. Forget the politicians. They aren't about to do anything to end this epidemic. It's up to you and me to let the people know that there actually is a way to significantly reduce the suffering caused by PTSD. But we have to get the word out. For that reason, I feel that we should all do whatever we can to help. In today's program notes, you'll find links to the Indiegogo campaign, along with links to other projects our guests are involved in. And even if you can only make a token donation of a few dollars, well, I urge you to go to the Shocked and Awed Indiegogo page and make a donation to let them know that you do care about our vets and that you're willing to do what you can to help them. And uh, I'll put a link to this campaign in today's program notes on our PsychedelicSalon.com website. Also, if you are a veteran yourself and are near to one of the demonstrations where on this coming Veterans Day, November 11th, Veterans will be throwing their prescription medicine bottles on the steps of the VA and other government sites. Well, if you can get there and do that, you will have a positive memory that will stay with you for the rest of your life. In the past, I talked about the time back in the 1970s when I participated with vets all over the country in throwing our service medals on the steps of federal buildings to protest the ongoing war in Vietnam. The memory of that day is still one of my clearest memories of the past. And I still feel good every time I think about it. So give it a try if you get a chance. I don't think you'll be sorry. Now, a few weeks ago, when Dr. Grobe stopped by for a visit, he told me that he and Dennis McKenna had begun to work out plans for a study that could shed some more light on ways in which ayahuasca may be used to treat PTSD. Their most serious roadblock right now is the fact that this research has to be conducted at a place that's outside of the United States. Not the jungle, but at an ayahuasca center with the proper facilities that they've worked with in the past. However, that's going to make it somewhat expensive for the veterans to travel there. As you know, uh, Dr. Grobe is one of the few researchers in the field of psychedelics who has actually conducted human studies using psilocybin, another studies with MDMA, and another study with ayahuasca. 
And Dennis McKenna is the scientist who first isolated the processes by which ayahuasca works. In my opinion, you can't find two better qualified people to lead a project like this. So if you know of anyone who could help fund this research, well, please get in direct contact with either one of them. Or let me know through the contact form on our website and I'll help you get in touch. And speaking of getting in touch with people, this now brings me to the last thing that I want to talk with you about today, which is a social media feature that I've added to our website. On the new site, which you can find at psychedelicsalon.com, you'll see a link to forums, and clicking that link will take you to the login page for our Find the Others social media section. And in November, this part of the website, which is only the social media section of the site, well, it's going to be available after November only to subscribe members. However, these podcasts and uh, everything else that you've been getting from the salon will continue to be free. The only thing that's going to be for the members are the interactive forums and the personal connectivity options. For the rest of this month, however, free charter membership for life is open to anyone who wants to register. And already there have been uh, well over 50 people who have registered. But for the most part so far, most of these fellow saloners have just been lurking, waiting for something to happen. (laughs) Of course, if something's going to happen there, it's going to be up to the members to participate. However, my guess is that uh, things will begin to pick up soon. And while the forums will be the most visible sign of activity there, some other features may actually be of more interest to you. First of all, you can remain anonymous and use only a screen name. Secondly, there is no advertising on the site, and I'm even trying to keep search engines from indexing it. However, even if they do, all forum pages require a membership in order to view them. Now, the biggest feature of this section may turn out to be the fact that anyone who wants to can form their own group. And these groups can also be set to be private, invitation-only groups. Private messaging is also available. And uh, over time, I'm hoping that when someone out in the boondocks is looking to find the others, that this will be a place for them to do exactly that. So, if you're interested uh, even slightly right now, my suggestion is for you to register as a charter member this month while it's free. And if you are listening to this after the free month, well, you can still try it out for free as a student, because uh, anyone who wants to may register as a student, and that comes with the first year's membership for free. Beginning in November, however, membership will cost $1 per month, paid a year in advance. And why, you ask, after over 10 years of podcasting, am I setting up a membership section for our site? Well, each year we've been having a pledge drive to raise funds to support the salon. But each year it also seems that the same 200 or so people are the ones who are carrying the load. My hope is that we will now be able to do away with the fundraisers each year and let members who are interacting with one another pay a small amount to keep things rolling without me having to beg for money every spring. We'll see how it works out, but I'm hopeful that this is going to replace our annual fund drive. And for our wonderful saloners who have made donations to the salon in past years, well, if you are hearing about this after the free charter membership program ends, never fear. Everyone, everyone who has ever made a past donation to the salon will be grandfathered into the new site as a free lifetime member. So when November rolls around and if you are a previous donor who hasn't gotten around to getting your ID and password yet, just let me know through the contact link on the site and I'll see to it that you become a lifetime member at no cost. 
After all, without the support that has come in these past ten and a half years from our wonderful donors, well, this podcast wouldn't still be here. Well, that's probably enough for today. Uh, Next week, I'll talk a little bit more about our new way to find the others. But for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be careful out there, my friends.